Hello and welcome to episode three of Luther's Catechism Podcast, brought to you by The Way Church. I'm Pastor Matt Rothy. Luther's Catechism Podcast takes you, the listener, through Luther's small catechism in order to educate, encourage, and equip you in your Christian faith and for all your callings in life. Welcome to episode three. This is the third and final introductory episode that we have. These introductory episodes are called such because they have been covering transitional material before we dive into the actual content of the small catechism. The title for this episode is The Law, In Need of a Savior, and it's a great episode to have right now at the end because in the next series of episodes, we will begin walking through the first of the six chief parts of Luther's small catechism, the Ten Commandments. If you're following along in your own Luther's Catechism book, we are on page 33. If you do not have a copy of this edition, you can purchase your own at the following web address, online.nph.net. Let's begin. God's law in need of a savior. Now, the message that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son is good news. We call that the gospel, and and we reviewed what that means in our last episode. It's extremely good news. But unfortunately, many people refuse to believe that they even need a savior. They compare their lives to others. Maybe it's murderers, terrorists, drug dealers, and they feel that they are good people by comparison. Actually, the sinful nature that we all have within each of us believes that way, by default or by nature. And if you're someone, I'll just pause here and say, if you're someone who's saying, no, 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 that's not me. I don't compare myself in that way. Well, did you see what you just did there? You compared yourself to non-comparers or you compared yourself to comparers. You compared. And our, our natural inclination, our sinful nature does that because we want to believe that we are able to have a good relationship with God on our own. But that is a serious mistake and it bears deadly consequences. Here's what we're going to learn in this episode. As we look at God's law, what we will see is that God's law is a gift that keeps us from making such serious spiritual mistakes. One thing that I want you to take away from this episode is this idea that God's law is a great blessing. Very easy or very often it's easy for us to think, oh, laws, they're, they're, they're constricting. They, they are negative things in our lives, but God's law is a great blessing. But before we get into all that, let's do this. Let's talk about question number 12. What do we mean when we speak of God's law? Luke 10 is our first passage for today. And just as a note of who's talking here, this passage comes as a precursor to a very famous parable or story that Jesus tells called the Good Samaritan. Here's what happens. On one occasion, Luke 10 says, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And then we get our passage here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Luke 10, 27 is this man's response to Jesus asking him, 
How do you read the law? What's in it? Well, he summarized it in these two ways. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Note this too. It comes in the context of him wondering, what do I need to do to get eternal life? Same thing in Matthew chapter 19. Here again, someone came up to Jesus and asked him, what good things must I do to get eternal life? Jesus challenged him. He said, what do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Here we hear the answer to the question, what is God's law? It is the Ten Commandments. We can summarize those in two short phrases. Love God, love your neighbor. Now, we get to our first closer look, and this is one that I'm really excited for us to talk about and understand because so often, so many questions I get as a pastor about the law and, hey, why do we keep this law as Christians and why do we not say we need to follow this law anymore today is answered in this closer look section. So I want you to pay attention here with me. The law tells us what is right and wrong, what we should do and what we shouldn't do. This is God's law, does the same thing. Now, when we speak of God's law though, it's important to understand that there are different categories of law. Some of God's laws were meant for Jews for a specific time period. For example, some of God's laws were meant to govern the Jewish nation of Israel. Some very explicitly dictated how the nation of Israel was to worship God. Other laws of God apply to all people of all time. Now, let's break down some of these categories. Are you ready? We refer to God's commands that govern the nation of Israel as civil laws. An example of some civil laws would be those that spelled out the punishment for those who caught, got caught stealing or those who hurt or harmed other people. That would be a civil law. Now, God's laws that command how his people should worship were called ceremonial laws. Those laws included regulations for the priesthood, the Sabbath day, the sacrifices, the ceremonial laws had a purpose, and that was to point ahead to Christ, reminding the people of Israel that God would send a Savior and how important the work of the Savior would be. All right, so we have civil laws, which govern the day-to-day life of Israel, ceremonial laws that govern the, the spiritual life of God's people in the nation of Israel. But now there's a third category of laws the laws that are meant for all people of all time. These are called the moral law. The moral law expresses people's duty toward God and toward one another. And this is the important one. The moral law is what remains in effect forever. So we get to question 13 then. How does God give his law? Specifically, how does he give his moral law to everyone? Romans 2 is a passage we read last time. Last time we read this, we made a distinction for uh, about how God revealed his law, and we're going to be reminded of that again. It's going to speak about Gentiles in this passage, and if you're curious about what that distinction between Jews and Gentiles mean, I want to encourage you to listen to our previous episode. Here's Romans 2. When Gentiles 
who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law. They are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. All right, we're asking the question, how does God give his moral law to everyone? When God made us, he wrote the law in our hearts. We called this natural revelation in the last episode, or natural law. When we sin, what happens? Our consciences bother us. That tells us of the law that God wrote on our hearts. Because of sin, however, our consciences can be mistaken. We may become so accustomed to a certain sin that our conscience no longer tells us that this is wrong. We may also be ignorant and believe that something is a sin when it isn't, or that something isn't sin when it is. Did you catch that? Now, in order that we would know what sin is, without a doubt, God has also given us his law in a second way, the written law. And to reference back the conversation we had in the previous episode, what we're talking about here is the comparison between natural revelation, God's nature or our consciences, and God's special revelation, which is his written word. Question 14, how did God give his law in a second way? John 1 verse 17, the law was given through Moses. In Exodus 20, we read about the account of God giving his law to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai, and this is going to serve as a summary devotion for this section, Exodus 20. Deuteronomy 4.13 says this, He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow and wrote them on two stone tablets. All right, so we know that God gave his law in two ways. And what we're going to be exploring in the rest of this episode is the purpose of God's law. Our closer look introduces the purpose for uh, God's law and what will be the remainder of our conversation in this episode. God's law and its purposes. God's law is important because it serves three different purposes in our lives. It serves outwardly in the lives of all people as Number one, a curb. It does so by threatening punishment to those who disobey the law and, get this, promising rewards who obey the law. Secondly, it also works inwardly in the hearts of all people as a mirror by showing us our sin. Finally, it has a function that serves only for believers in Jesus Christ. It serves as, number three, a guide for Christian living. So let's cover those three purposes. First, a curb. Second, a mirror. Third, a guide. Question number 15 begins in this way. How does the law serve as a curb in the lives of all people, even unbelievers? 1 Timothy 1, verses 9 and 10. The law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious. Psalm 19 says this, My flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws. Romans 13 says this, Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but 
for those who do wrong. All right, we're asking the question, how does the law serve as a curb? So let's use that idea as an illustration of a curb to help us understand what God's saying in these passages. The simplest illustration is a curb that you see on the side of the road. What does a curb serve to do? Well, keeps the car in the road. And on the way here, because I was thinking about this lesson, I was driving along the road and I happened to notice the curb. And guess what? I wasn't afraid of the curb because I was driving the speed limit. Now, if I was driving recklessly and weaving in and out of traffic, that would pose a very big threat to me. If I hit the curb, what could happen? Maybe I I pop off and I lose control. Similar, you might think of what God's word said in Romans 13 and and the law uh, in this illustration in this way. Because I was driving the speed limit, I had no fear when I saw a police car pull up next to me. But if I was speeding, would I be afraid? Yeah, I would, because I would know that some kind of consequence or punishment is coming. And that's how God's law works as a curb. It, It strikes fear into us and keeps us from going out of bounds, going outside of the curb. And as long as we stay within the curb, driving along the road at the right speed limit, following traffic laws and and road etiquette, things will go smoothly. That is God's law serving as a curb, and it does this for people who are believers and non-believers. Question number 16, we get to the second use of the law, the mirror. What do we mean when we say that God's law acts as a mirror in the hearts of all people? Romans 3 verse 20 says, No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Think about that. The law serves as a mirror. It is through God's word, his written law, that we become aware that we are sinful people, that we do sinful things. Here's a silly example. Last week, I made lunch for my kids and I made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And I love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So I made one for myself. I took a big bite into mine and then went on enjoying the rest of our lunch. In fact, I enjoyed the rest of our day going outside, going to the park. And then when I got home, I looked at the mirror and I saw that this entire time I had peanut butter on the outside of my lip that had been there the entire time. But guess what? For almost two hours, I didn't know it, but the mirror made me aware of it. The mirror made me conscious of it, and I could tell that I had peanut butter. And and similarly, God's word, his law, does the same thing. It shows us that we do sinful things. Romans 7 helps us understand this even more deeply. Paul writes, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Now, think about what the Apostle Paul is saying here. First, I want to encourage you to read the entire chapter of Romans 7 because it gives a very personal, very honest commentary from Paul's perspective about how all people, all Christians, struggle with the law and sin. But here Paul's using an illustration of one specific sin. He says that he wouldn't have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. 
In other words, what he's pointing out is this. Coveting, we go, okay, desiring, wanting thing. Is that really so bad? Now, I know if I see my neighbor's uh, car or toy, for example, and I want it, well, that, that could just be me you know, wanting something nice. But taking it, that's wrong. Stealing, I know that's wrong. But here's what God's word does. It comes along and says, no, 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 no. Even having the wrong desire for something, coveting, that too is sin. This is the mirror working in our hearts, working in our lives, God's word showing us what sin is and, sadly, how we're guilty of it. Question 17 brings up a very interesting question. Why is it important that even though it doesn't always feel right, like it reveals we have something on our face or are doing something wrong, why is it important that we look into the mirror of God's law? Let me answer this both negatively and positively. Negatively first, Luke 18, verse 13. There's a whole uh, scenario here that's being laid out. There is a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee is somebody who is standing by himself in church, praying loudly, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other people comparing himself to robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and tax collectors. This prayer of this Pharisee goes on to boast about how he fasts twice a week and and gives a tenth of of all he had. Now, here's the opposite. Luke 18, verse 13, the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Why is it important that we look into the mirror of God's law? It's important that we realize that we are people who have sin. As our, as our episode title gives away, we are people who are in need of a Savior. That we are not people who stand right before God on our own doing. And I said, I'm answering this negatively. And the reason is because if we don't look into this mirror, we'll we'll be like the Pharisees. We'll be like people who actually think that they're going on living as though they didn't sin. By comparing themselves to others, they think they're they're better than others. But now let's answer this positively. And and this this is what the tax collector knew. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Here is why it's important to look into God's law, because what the law does is show us our sin. It makes us realize we sin, but it also points us to the fact that we don't have salvation in us. Therefore, it prepares our hearts to hear the gospel. The good news that that salvation does come from our Savior, a God who does have mercy on us who are sinners. Chapter 18 wraps up uh, our conversation about the uses and the purposes of God's law by talking about a special purpose only for Christians, the guide. What do we mean when we say that God's law serves as a guide for Christians? We'll consider two passages from Psalm 119. First, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light on my path. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. 
Here's the really great news, that it is the word of God that guides us in how to live according to God's will and his law. And it is that, that special use for Christians, the guide that shows us that way, similar to a guide who has maybe been on a trail or been through a museum before, they're going to show you the best way through the forest or through the museum. That's God's word in our lives. It is going to show us the best way forward, his word, a lamp to our feet. Our final question is number 19. Why do we want to follow God's law? Romans 12, verse 1, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The question is this, why do we follow God's law? It's not in view of threats that we, oh, now we got to follow God's law or or we're going to get punished. It's not in view of rewards. Ooh, if if I do this, then God will bless me. It's not out of fear. It's not in order to make a name for ourselves. No, Romans 12 tells us it is in view of God's mercy. It is in view of all that God has given to us in Christ. Mercy, all that God hasn't given to us, the punishment for our sins that we deserve, that we then respond in faith, living lives that are holy and pleasing to God. This is why we want to follow God's law. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 gives us the motivation for following God's law. Christ died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. God's word teaches the amazing truth that Jesus offered his life as the sacrifice for our sins. And because he did this, our sins are They are totally forgiven, and we live confident that we will go to heaven when we die. So, when by faith we grasp this truth, what God does is change us. He changes us to now we want to live for Christ. We want to obey His will in such way that our entire lives honor Him. This is why we want to follow God's law. We're going to close with our connections section by saying this. I want you to think about value. When we measure things in our life that are of value, we, we do so in different ways. If someone gives us something, uh, we might think about it being valuable in terms of how much it costs. Okay, this was, this was expensive. It's valuable. Or it was inexpensive. Ah, it's, it's not valuable. We may measure another thing according to its practical value what we can do with the gift, or how much time it will save us. We may consider other gifts to be important because they're beautiful. God's written law is valuable, and it's important for all of us. It's a gift that God has given us, and God emphasizes that in a really striking and honestly unusual way when he first gave his law to the people of Israel. What I want to encourage all of you to do is read Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus chapter 20 on your own. And as you do so, think through the special ways that God is highlighting for his people how important it is. Sometimes we can be dismissive of that and think that, well, God's law just isn't that important. Discuss. 
with the people you're listening to this to and studying catechism with, a time when maybe you thought God's commands were unimportant. Maybe share a time where it actually was very important to you. What did you learn today about the importance of God's law? Finally, let's close with a quote from Luther. And this really beautifully highlights and summarizes the blessing of God's law. We began by talking about how sometimes we can think that laws are restrictive or oppressive and not something we want in our lives. But what I hope is that God's word shared with you today reminds you of the special blessing, the complete value that we have in God's law. Luther said this, Since we are clothed in flesh and blood, the preaching of the law is also necessary in order to first put people to death by the law and destroy all their self-confidence so that they may know themselves, become hungry for the Spirit, thirsty for grace, and so be a people prepared for the preaching of the Spirit." What a cool gift the law is, that it prepares us to hear and receive from God the greatest gift of all, the forgiveness and life that he gives us in the Son, the gift of his spirit that he gives us, that empowers us to live lives that are truly a holy and pleasing sacrifice to God. May God bless you as you you continue studying God's law. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Luther's Catechism Podcast. I hope that it was something that educated, encouraged, and equipped you in your Christian faith and for all your callings in life. See you next time.